0: Hello and welcome. This is uh, Nabil Ejazi, and you are watching Imagine XP's podcast series. Imagine XP is a learning organization for future skills. Uh, at Imagine XP, we are spreading the word of UX and, and trying to build a design community. Through our various programs, young in- individuals and professionals were able to make their way in UX design and design thinking. So, for today's podcast, we have with us Pavish Shagal. Bhavishya is the Head of User Experience at Amex Player. In his extensive 6.5 career, six and a half years of career of in design, he has been helping more than 45 startups based in uh, India, USA, and Australia. And he has a core capacity and core competency in areas like user research, design strategy, project management, wireframing, prototyping, data analytics, and whatnot. So let's quickly welcome Bhavishya. Hi Bhavishya. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, man. And really appreciate your gesture and, uh, uh, you being a part of this cause. Definitely. Wait. So, uh, I think we, we shall start with, with our, our questions and we can start with a conversation Definitely. So, to start with, uh, this is something that I would like to know, and I'm sure a lot of people out there would be really interested to know, uh, like your transition, so from engineering to design. So, how does your entire design journey looks like?
1: Right. So basically, it has uh, been a journey of a lot of ups and downs, based on uh, a lot of exploring that I did in my college. So I started pretty early, and that was one of the major re- reasons that I got to where I am because I got to the work pretty early, right? I started working when I was in first year of my college. So as soon as I, you know, I got uh, into this uh, engineering college, most people dream of IITs and NITs. And as soon as I got into this private college of engineering, I thought that life's to the end. All that I'm going to get is the 3.5 lakh TCS package. But, you know, a lot of uh, seniors actually came to me and guided me through on how that could also not be true. If you work hard enough for four years, you could actually land somewhere that is, Way, way different than what more, most people land on. And that's why I started interning from the very first year of my college. First, I interned for ISEC, then, I was uh, first joined by Microsoft as a U crew representative, then, as a Microsoft student partner, hired by uh, also Google for Google Student Ambassador Program, where we used to teach students all across India about cloud, cloud computing, uh, web development, and design. So, and that is exactly where I actually, till then I was working with a lot of startups as an IT manager, as a coder, as a WordPress coder. Uh, I was basically taking any job that there be it who were allowing to, who, allowing, who gave me the job basically. Any job that would give me anything to do, I would do it. At that, I was nearly in first year of my college at that time. And that is when I transitioned from code to design when I met a lot of folks in Google, in my Google summit. And I figured that, My core skill set is not coding, not algorithms or data structures, but my core skill is problem solving and empathy, empathy for humans, empathy for creating good products for users. And that is when I got to know only that, only when I actually went out and talked to a lot of people and figured out that there is a role like UX designer that, that exists. In our normal engineering colleges, these roles don't even exist in our textbooks, right? right, So uh, it it was hard to even recognize that people would pay for this. People would pay for someone to just design the app and not code it. Uh, That was a realization that came quite to the end of the second year for me. And that is when I started working with a lot of startups. Initially, I did the work for free. Uh, A lot of startups, I would pitch directly that I would redesign your whole brand for free. Just let me do it and just out of that offer i i got at least five to six i was working at a time for six startups seven startups at a time delivering uh, all the products to them in a timeline where i'm going to the college regularly for at least nine to ten hours and that is basically how i built my portfolio once i built a solid portfolio of all the work that i've done i started going out and asking for money and my first project believe it or not was 300 rupees that i got paid for or redesigning a whole website in 2014 so not even that uh, back right i mean that, that and far this was
0: then you probably would be in your second or third year of exactly
1: anyway. i was in second year transitioning from as a coder to designer i offered them oh. to redesign and in the end i got a pay voucher literally oh. uh yeah to recharge my phone and uh yeah that is how i started and that is one of the learning there i think out there for all the young viewers out there that you need to rise above your ego. You need to rise above all the uh, feisty packages that you see people getting in user experience. You need to really get into the dirt and be be willing to, to work for it. So that really was my journey. I, as soon as I my portfolio started growing, a lot of big startups started giving me uh, you know the roles. And uh, I started creating my own design process that I later launched uh, in form of a book which became Amazon Choice, Pirates of Product. And I just basically was using that rinse and repeat process for all the startups that I working with, and it became so well that I, at the end of my fourth year, I was training a couple of UX teams into how to do UX and and ship products.
0: Okay. Okay. Definitely, yeah, it is really important to get your hands dirty in the field before you aim for any high packages or you know like some exactly. decorated career in design. And this goes on for each and every field we pick we and choose from. Great. So, uh, Vavishan, now talking about your current profile. So Now you're working as the head of user experience at Amex Player.
1: Right. Could um, you
0: talk a little bit about, about your role there and how does a general day at work looks like?
1: Right. So, M- Amex <laughs> has, has quite an exciting design team. It's quite diverse. And hmm. it's... Specialized in a lot of ways, so when I when I say I'm doing UX, most of the time I'm doing only UX. So uh, for MX specifically, I am involved in other stuff. For example, I'm uh, the chief editor of their MX publication blog, where we are encouraging all the people in MX team to come out and share their stories of success with the world, and whatever they have learned throughout the process. So I am doing a couple of other stuff, but majorly what involves as soon as I go to the office is we live between the product team and the ui team and what really what comes to us is through uh, a research done by product managers data analysts anyone who is looking at user reviews or user data who is looking at any relevant data that could come up with some form of improvements that he could suggest us or new apps or new completely new uh, ideas that that we could come up with on our app or on our different uh, properties and that all that is collected within to a sheet and that sheet is basically given to the design team and product team to prioritize on which would we want to launch first and which do we want to launch later. And that is divided into sprints, different sprints each week. So at the really end, what the UX design team narrows it down to is a set of tasks that we'll be performing, be it improvement or a completely new feature uh for which we might have some research at hand or we might do other research by ourselves and it's just really a set of tasks that we would do for the uh, for the whole week that will involve us doing creating all the ux deliverables for example we might recreate our personas for for certain things we might uh, draw out the user journeys we detail out the storyboarding for each use cases that a user might have and at the end of it we create uh, low fidelity wireframes on sketch that then we deliver to the product team for a, a review, and then uh, it goes next to the UI team. So that is the a little bubble that that UX team lives in. Uh, it's currently a small team, but uh, we are uh, we are expanding very soon.
0: Great, great. So yeah, definitely good. like great work that you guys have been doing, and you know taking it to a whole next level. Right. So now let's let's talk about. Uh, you are designing some winning products so the product that you have created for google microsoft etf japong so can you please elaborate on these
1: right so one of the major products that i would love to talk about is coin dcx right coin literally yes, uh, came out, so i was one of the ex partners and founding members of coin dcx and coin dcx came to me as just literally a one one line idea in a starbucks by sumit gupta the founder mm-hmm. that Dude, we need to create the most powerful and yet the easiest cryptocurrency exchange out there. And that really was his pitch. And just out of that, uh, through all our research, through understanding of the market, through understanding of the best heuristics of creating a a world-class product, uh, we launched CoinDCX in April, uh, one day after bank denounced uh, RBI banks to interact with cryptocurrency exchanges. Literally, uh, one day before our launch on 7th April, uh, launch was on 8th April, 7th April, government decided to, that, that to announce that RBI, none of the RBI banks would interact with any of the crypto exchanges. And we had a complete INR gateway, everything built in. And just in one day, we had to redo uh, a lot of those things and launch on 8th April. And in less than one year, it became India's largest cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, which in turn like in turn obviously led to creating such a large market share that the biggest uh, before CoinDCX, the biggest uh, startups were Zepay uh, and and uh, coinex and both of them went out of the business uh, of crypto and CoinDCX DCX and right now it's the largest crypto marketplace in india and that happened entirely entirely through uh, a very delicate understanding of what users really want. We were constantly in touch with our users. I was personally replying to all the messages that came to our, on our Telegram. Or people personally tagged me for even the small issues that they had on, in D6. And through that, we built a complete experience map of every user, everything that a user is experiencing throughout the whole lifecycle of CoinD6 and be able to optimize it at the right level. And of course, we had one tenth or even even lesser amount of resources than most of these large startups we we were a very small team and hence were very agile we're constantly trying to test out and and basically build product as soon as possible so time was always a constant
0: great Wow, well, great great work there Pavish. so uh, i'm pretty sure that the viewers of this podcast would now like to know about the niche mind how it took birth, what is it all about, and how design uh, comes into the picture with uh, the niche mine.
1: So the niche mine, I think, really born out of the need that there is no free or low cost resource available for designers out there, right? That is one of the major things that, that when I was growing up, when I was uh, trying to become a uh, designer out there. Every website I went on to, it was a fifteen thousand rupee course. Another was a sixty thousand rupee course. Someone would be selling me an eighty thousand rupee course. Right? A lot of these were out of the reach of someone uh, who is, let's say, whose whole whole household income is, let's say, five thousand. Right? So I thought there is a section of society that might be missing out on uh, on on the knowledge, and a lot of uh, even Khan Academy has been releasing a lot of free tutorials. Right? I mean. That has been to tap an audience that, that is not previously tappable, right? And I think podcasts like these are also, a try to give out content uh, in best way possible in, in low cost to everyone out there. Yes, and Meek mine born out of that idea. I created a UX notebook that, uh, that was costed, I mean, most notebooks out there were around 5,000 if an Indian uh, customer saw it, 5,000, 6,000. We made UX notebook a 700 rupees-ish and and sold it out to all the users and we made another version of a wireframe notebook at 299 so we almost kept our uh, profits to almost none only uh, kept the distribution profits and gave out a tool to people that i thought would help them better their ux design process so i designed the process as i previously said of product and i laid it out in terms of set of templates that you can use for your own ux project So that was basically the need that NicheMind bought out of and constantly what we are trying to do on NicheMind is is to give out low cost or uh, no cost to none uh, uh, products out there to all the users. So we might be coming out with some uh, cards, free cards that people could use while brainstorming. So just giving out tools to people uh, and make it accessible to a wider audience was the aim of NicheMind, especially in the designer and product manager
0: niche. Awesome. awesome so uh, now since you, since you are a person who is on ground who's in the field and so this is this is like more of an obvious question that i'd like to ask here. right so what do you think is the future of ott platform and most importantly how ux is pe- uh, playing a, a pivotal role here
1: right so one of the major things that are happening in otd right now is adoption right for last past three years due to uh, the growth of geo a lot more people have access to internet now a lot more people are streaming on youtube and that has led to a lot of revolutionary changes on every platform out there be it youtube vimeo or, or netflix and prime the number of subscriptions have gone higher people binge watching have gone higher right and the real need right now is is not to just push out content, just to push out unlimited amount of content. Is to find a balance between uh, finding the right con- content for the right audience. Right. Uh, let's say your audience is tier two, tier three. Understanding them to the core, understanding their problems, their way of looking at life, and creating content that is pertinent to them. Right. I would say, let's say Netflix, for example, is an extremely amazing product. Right. But I would. Uh, I would debate that it's majorly meant for tier one audience. People, let's say, who understand English, people who are woke uh, in percents, right? But a lot of people, majority of India, for example, it does not lie into that bracket. So what's the future of OTT looks like is it's it's going to democratize it. It's going to make it accessible to a much wider audience. And the challenge for UX would be is how do you scale the experiences of a, pro user versus a tier 1 cool audience versus a tier 3, tier 4, non-cool audience as people say. Right? How do you differentiate into one product the experiences that you can build for all of them at once? That is the biggest challenge.
0: Yes, definitely. I can, I can totally agree to what you've said here. and Especially with the role of UX and how the, the entire media, the entire platform has been enhancing. So, uh, Pershing on that, what do you think, what is the designer's role in our today's society and how can they really make this world a better place to live?
1: So, designer at its core is a person who is incessantly looking for problems to solve. Uh, A designer is someone who uh, looks at a real world problem and thinks of a solution that he could do it better. And that is the biggest challenge for all the designers and opportunity for all the designers out there or all the people who are uh, creative in the sense of people who like to build things and, and come up with new things. All of these people are designer in a sense, right? You look at any problem in the society. Let's say you're looking at, uh, let's take a simple example of currently there's a COVID-19 pandemic. Let's say you come up with an app that uh, push out mental health awareness among people who are currently in quarantine and giving them right tools and resources to battle uh, battle covid 19 quarantine and just by doing that you will not just uh, gather a huge subscriber base but you will also think of ways to monetize it later right so it is a viable startup idea but it arises from a very deep problem deep problem that 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 in this case is the mental health uh, issues that people are facing currently in quarantine so that is really A job of a designer, if you can convert an idea, and that's what designers do, they convert an idea into a wireframe, into a prototype that you could pitch to an investor, right? They convert an idea into a product, and that is exactly what you need. You need to constantly evaluate around you the biggest problems that you feel empathetic about. A lot of problems that there exist that I may not personally feel empathetic about, but I do personally feel empathetic about people getting the design education and getting the right design education right so you pick a problem that you may empathize with with a problem that you probably have faced earlier that, and, and you want to solve for others and then find an idea on how to build a product or a service out of it
0: great yes so yeah definitely like how a designer has been converting an idea into a pro, uh, into a product that really solves the problem and how it changes things might make uh, you know a world a to live and it is still doing it and exactly. so uh, now, Bhavish, I'd like to ask. Like, so uh, usually when we when we talk about user research, so it is generally going out in the natural user environment, uh, asking and collating a lot of questions. Right. But now you you have been talking about conducting the entire user research process remotely. Right. So what's the idea behind it, and how can someone really go about it?
1: All right, so the way to look at uh, remote user testing here is to look at it in a way that it amends or it it adds on to your current user research regime, right? It will not entirely replace it. You can't entirely replace going out and talking to users into their own context, right? But at the same time, most uh, a lot of startups these days are remotely located, located in different parts of the world. We often, let's say, are located in India, but are do creating product that impacts Americans, Russians, right? People from Canada. How do you test out your real audience without understanding the remote user testing? It nowadays is impossible right so what most people are using these days, especially because of COVID 19 a lot of people are are within their homes confined within their homes and finding new ways to uh do user research and doing a remote user research allows you just that right uh remote user research could be moderated or unmoderated uh, basically moderated is simply you are in the with the customers at the time they are testing the the uh, the app or the prototype and unmoderated is simply task base where you give out uh, your task to a bunch of users and they come back with, with the result of uh, their recording or the, their task be, being done on a screenshot so that's basically how user testing works in short but why you really need it is to avoid the mistakes in cheap that could cost you way higher at the later stage the mistakes that you can catch at the early stage uh, with user testing, that could have been a, a, a wrong hypothesis or something that your uh, users don't like. It might cost you very high when it's actually live and out. And for you need to remove it and revert back from it, it costs you much higher. And in the whole cycle, you might have wasted wasted time of testers, developers, and a lot of other stakeholders. But only if you do the proper user testing and and test your early prototypes with your users it makes it easier for you to get a map of what is working, what is sticking with them and what is not. And it allows you to make feedback, allows you to make changes in your design at an early stage.
0: Great, yes. So now if we talk about both the processes here, so what are some major differences between both of these user research processes?
1: right. So major difference is probably not being able to understand uh, entirety of their emotions, their expressions, their legs, their hands. Maybe let's say when you are just looking at someone in the, into the camera, you might probably notice their expressions, but still there is a human to human connection have to be had if you are in front of them, right? You might notice a lot more things that are non-verbal in nature, right? Things that that uh, that they might not be saying, things that they might be feeling, their environment. Uh, you get a better idea of your users when you actually go uh, and do User testing with actual users, and that is the only major difference between uh, what you and basically it makes your overall uh, result more quantitative than qualitative. Qualitative is basically based on emotions, based on overall quality of your research in terms of uh, how, how have you analyzed their needs and goals, their non-verbal aspects, right? And that lacks out a little when it, when it comes to remote t- testing, but when it comes to testing. Uh, uh, your tasks with user for in terms of testing your overall information architecture with the user when you're designing your menu for instance let's say you're uh, launching an ad ad campaign or sales funnel for people it's very very uh, practical for you to test it out first it is very practical for you to be in the mindset of a scientist when you're launching any feature uh, that you first test it out incessantly with people and make sure that once it launches they like it and there's quite a probability that they won't still like it. You'll have to continuously uh, analyze their, their reviews, their, their behaviors, but you can take a fairly strong guess and make save a lot of money by doing the right usability testing. And, and that has been the major difference. So when you are doing remote user testing, you are doing that with uh, tools like Optimal Workshop for free. Let's say you are doing it on Google Hangouts or Zoom. You're interviewing participants on zoom and you might need might or might not need another collaborator with you they can join from any part of the world become a contributor in your call and just take down notes right take down what you're saying take, take down notice the real expressions of people right maybe right. have a second outlook on things and that's how you can really perform uh, a res- uh, user testing online and remotely which you don't need to go out and into the into the field and talk
0: to the real users. So Bhavishi, if you can talk more about the tools that someone can use to conduct the entire research process, remote or online, that too, uh, in in a budget, that too, like it has to be, you know, not to be high, but it has to be uh, a cheap user research. So if you can throw more light on on all these tools, and how can they really manage that?
1: Right. So majorly, there are three parts of planning your uh, remote user uh, research. First is defining the what. Second is defining the who. And third is the how. So what what is basically you first need to define the business objectives or test objectives that you're trying to test. Is it the new feature that people ask for that you it has designed? Are you improving a certain aspect that I've seen that you are trying to convert more people that could be your test objective that we need to convert more people through our landing page you need to define your test objectives first and using that using those objectives you can start to make out list of the type of test you require right the second thing we have covered the what the second thing is who who is very important because that might also need a couple of tools for you to be engaged with so that is user recruiting. Right. The second is who, who you are uh, doing this user testing for, who are you going to test with, which are your primary personas. Right. You need to first analyze if you're able to recruit similar personas uh, within your own circle, uh, within your own user database. But if you're not able to recruit certain people or such type of people within, within from your data, you need to use tools like, again, Optimal Workshop or usertesting.com. Uh, which will allow you a lookback.io, which allows you to recruit people from all parts of the world. They'll define the type of salary they have, the type of demographic that they have, you can define it. And based on that, they'll give you certain test participants for uh, ranging from $50 to $90 each. And that might be expensive. That's why it's better for you to first look into your own user data, uh, take favors from uh, family, friends, people who might fit your primary persona. And just asking them for favors, right? Let's say someone requested a certain feature that you are now bringing. You can text that person that, hey, thank you for uh, uh, giving us the feedback for this new feature. We have come up, we have actually launched this feature in beta. We'd love for you to test it. And a lot of people would be willing to test it for free, right? But it's often a good hygiene to give them some kind of incentive at the end. Uh, in US, the least they off, they offer is fifty dollars for each study. Uh, in, in India, uh, you, it could drop down as much as 1,500 rupees for for each study, and that's still if you're evaluating, uh, you know, let's say 10 people, it's 15,000 right there. So you need to be uh, very wise into how you're recruiting in defining your business goal. The first step, the what, you don't need any of the tools. You just need Google Sheets to note down your plan, and maybe you could use tools like Miro or M I R O, Miro or Mural, M U R A L. Yes, to collaborate with your team and come up with those test objectives. And second, you will be recruiting people. You just need user testing or recruit your own uh, people from your own data. Third is how are you gonna test it, right? So there are, uh, as I mentioned, there are two ways of testing it, moderated and unmoderated. Uh, generally, moderated testing on all these platforms are expensive. They again start at the range of $60 per, per month minimum. And what moderated testing does is that you can test, you can give that platform, let's say Optimal Workshop or Lookback.io, you can give your prototypes or your app or your website, uh, you can feed it to them, define certain tasks. For example, let's say I'm testing for MX Player, I could give them two types of tasks, open-ended or close-ended. Open-ended task would be, how do you go about finding a movie on a platform like this? It's an open-ended, right? Yes. Uh, or yes. how do you generally approach selecting a movie or, or a TV show when you want to watch one? That's an open-ended question. Close-ended could be where do you find your profile in this? In this, where, uh, where do you? How do you add to watch list? I'm testing specific past part of the of the UI here, right? So you can task two. You can define these two type of tasks within that uh, within that platform, and then you can. Uh, launch it out in a way of emailers to all all the participants that you might have recruited or you might have recruited from any other platform. As soon as they click on the link, they'll be able to join it. And most of the time in moderated, you will have to be there at the other end. So you need need to manage a time where they could join at the same time. And as soon as you both join at the same time, the testing starts. Let's say they have joined from the mobile app. Let's say you're testing a mobile. You can still see their face. You can still uh, record their voice. And analyze it later, let's say on plat- platforms like lookback.io. There, there is an ability to save all the conversations that you have with people on that platform. So that is the first thing that you do. You, you need to define all the tasks that is called moderated testing. And there is a, there are a bunch of unmoderated tests. Surveys in surveys is one of the unmoderated moderated tests, right? It is an unmoderated way for you to figure out what your audience wants. You could you could take a detailed survey of, of or what are the genres that they like, which uh, of the different options of all these movies, which of them are ticked with them the most, what what they want uh, in their own ideal Netflix or ideal MX, right? Asking such questions on a survey also count for unmoderated research. So there are many other types of unmoderated research which are often famous. There's the card sorting, which you can recruit people to actually do card sorting for all the elements of your website. Uh, you can make them, uh, uh, task base for example you can give your menu to them and give a task of let's say again finding a profile or changing your phone number and see where people go uh, yeah. live online right you don't have to actually be there on the other side but people will be recording it live and uploading it to your own server and that's how really unmo- that's how unmoderated testing works and as you would realize that in unmoderated testing you often get more of a quantitative data you m- get more of the averages you uh, Find out most of the common problems, but the real uh, findings come from moderated testing when you are actually talking to people and digging in deeper uh, into what they think and why they think that.
0: So they should really focus on going for moderated testing.
1: Uh, in a way, in a way, but often uh, it's very hard and and time taking, you know, and often you have to offer them fifty dollar each at the end of it which you may not have for let's say 50 people or 10 people, yeah. right? so you need to find ways to uh, dis- uh, yeah. create a distributed plan for, for your yeah. user research where you get more type of data. right? So you would still need to do unmoderated testing for some averages for basic understanding of your audience and for low cost. right? Often uh, these softwares allow you to test uh, as le- least as to a $10, $19 for each unmoderated test with 20 people which would cost you way more, less than cost of one participant in the unmoderated one. Right, so you need to mix it up, mix and match based on your need, based on your budget. And most of the time, try to figure out figure out nifty ways to get people to do it for free, especially people who are reviewing your product, especially people who have asked for a feature online, reach out to them and tell them that we have made that feature just for you. And uh, we'd be honored to have you test it. and you'd be shocked on how many people would do it for free.
0: Okay, so yeah, at the end of the day, it has to be a, a perfect mix of both the exactly. methods and methodologies. Yes. So now we'd like to know what are the do and don'ts of conducting remote user research?
1: Right. One of the major don't. let's start with don't. One of the major don't is do not rely on it entirely, right? As we uh, previously mentioned, do not entirely rely on that. You need to constantly validate the hypothesis that you make uh, in the user testing, create it with a prototype and test it once more, right? Testing once is not enough. Let's say first time you're testing with a prototype on, on Invision or Marvel app, let's say you, are, you have a prototype ready, you're testing with a set sort of people. When you come up with a better design solution, you might need to test again. Don't just end up testing. Once you have your insights and then you are doing everything after that, based on your own assumptions, right? You need to constantly be actually user-centered and uh, doing sporadic testing, doing uh, one quarter at a time testing might not help you. You need, you need to build agile models within your team where you are testing more often. So that is the major uh, do uh, of of uh, and in combined do of, of a user research. Another thing that come, comes to my mind is do not think that uh, it's expensive. I mean, I've seen most of the designers, they shy away from uh, uh, doing user testing because their bosses won't allow them. Uh, yeah. Their ba- bosses won't give a budget for them, right? So what I would advise to those people is you need to come up with your own testing strategy where you can do it for as less as 3,000 rupees. I personally have run research studies where I have launched Facebook ad. And I've uh, spent less than 3,000 in recruiting all the participants and all of the participants gave their favor to me for free because at the end, I I gave them some kind of incentive. Let's say I am hiring, uh, I want to recruit UX designers, Uh, let's say I'm doing research for Imagine XP. I want to understand what kind of course do they want. I'm running a user research for Imagine XP, for example. Uh, I would easily create an ebook that only and only UX designers would like. Spend 15 days on it, and then launch an ad to give it out for free in the return of their 15 minutes. Right? So people often uh, like free stuff, and you can use such things to uh, to also hire participants. So don't entirely rely on all the costs that you see and get scared of on usertesting.com because they'll start with five thousand dollar, and your boss will not allow it. We all know it, right? So you will need to be ready with your own nifty measures on how are you going to do it. Even if you have to put your own 3000 5000 into it, do it for the sake of learning. That's the best $5,000 you will ever spend.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Bhavusha, for having such valuable insight on this part. Uh, now I'd like to move on to our next question. So, so this is for all the design enthusiasts. So, so how can they really design such amazing experiences in such brief period of time? How can they really do it? Because you did that, so what, right. what would be the few learnings that you would like to share with them?
1: You need to run after the skills, the core skills needed to create products. And I would name yeah. out those core skills. The, the main core skill is understanding the process of product innovation. Understanding the, the process of how products are created at large scale, small scale middle scale, understanding all sorts of product development. You need to understand how businesses work, how businesses make money, what kind of startups are out there. You need to first understand the market. And the very second thing that you need to do to become a good designer is you need deep understanding within the human cognition, right? What dif- what makes you different from a UI designer is you need to understand the cognition, uh, a, cognitive abilities of the brain you need to be able to guess or the call, call the bluff on how people think. Right? We, we people uh, irrespective of how intelligent and awesome we are on the earth as a species, we still think on certain norms. right? We still uh, see a certain way we analyze the data around us in a certain way and you could use the knowledge of it to create products that uh, make people think less and make them feel delightful at the right time and guide them in a way uh, to what you really want them to do. And, and that, that's what Facebook does. That's why Facebook hired so many designers. That's why Twitter design uh, designers, uh, are they exist. They do so many research because they are trying to guess the real point of or your joy. Where What's the deep-seated need that you have that you need to solve in the world, right? They came up with, let's say, for example, they came up with a look back on memories. Facebook came up with that it might have been uh, it it, have, it might have arisen from a very deep seated need of looking back into our past and uh, being proud of it right so that's how they they uh, used user research to understand the very basic aspect of the yeah. of the world so that is one thing that is very important according to me
0: great hey, great. Hey. thank you so much so uh, now we are approaching towards the end of our podcast so uh, Moving to our next question, this is one of my favorite questions that I'd like to ask uh, of the experts. So what do you think, what are the uh, career prospects in UX design? How does the future look like?
1: So I'll talk about uh, two types of realities. First reality, I'll talk about the good one, right? Okay. Uh, the good one is one of the best packages and one of the best salary packages on in the tech world out there. Uh, are now go, uh, going to product managers and and user experience designers psychology graduates people who have the creative background have been getting the leadership role more and more uh, in today's startups and corporates right they have been offered salaries next to none like uh, they have the best salaries out there and the other reality that we face towards is what the 90% 95% of the people might be living is the world where uh, it's a world of UX designers where they are probably overworking. They are not valued for their work. They are working in an organization who might not inherently understand UX, might not give them the right resources to do UX, right? So this is we are the world. We are living in a world where these two stark realities live next to each other. And uh, what I advise you uh, for your career is: the more you build your skills, the more. You know the core concepts of this field. The more you know about psychology, as I mentioned, all the core aspects that I mentioned, the more you know about it, uh, the better are your chances into being included in the first past part of the reality, than to the next one. So skills are the only things that are uh, th- that differentiate someone from being in the first uh, phase versus the second phase. Right.
0: Great. So now, what is the message like talking? Of? taking this ahead. what is this one message that you'd like to uh, give to our to our viewers and also to imagine XP?
1: Right. so I mean imagine XP is doing an awesome job educating people with the right amount of right uh, design resources, right design teaching and that is extremely important in this way and, and from my message to people would be is that uh, what would be the message I started with let go your ego and start learning. Uh, The space is getting competitive, space is getting better, designers are getting better by the day. Uh, And you need to really uh, skill up, you need to constantly work towards uh, solving the right problems and coming up with the uh, right solutions of the problems that other people didn't think of. You need to have a different perspective and, and a zeal to actually learn about how human behaves and how you can create products for them. So once you, once you create that real zeal within you, uh, everything would solve. And I would thank uh, Imagine XP a lot for uh, nourishing a lot of such curiosities and helping people uh, get the right.
0: Yes, definitely. Thanks so much. Sir. It's a pleasure. All right. So we have come to an end. So thank you so much, Bhavishar. It thanks was a that. phenomenal, phenomenal interaction. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of viewers had a lot of learning from this one. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks a lot, Nadeem. Thanks a okay. lot.
0: So nice it's a pleasure. So for our, for all our viewers, thanks for listening to us and all the very best for the road ahead. And if you'd like to mo- watch more such educative uh, content and, and such such stuff, you can follow us on our social media pages. You can uh, check out our YouTube channel and you can visit us on www.imaginexp.com. So this is Nabil Ejazi from ImagineXP signing off and I'm gonna see you real soon in, in another exciting episode. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye, take care Bye. stay Bye. safe.